welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all of the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what didn't, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we're going to discuss Chapter 5 of the 3rd Edition Unearthed Arcana. This is a chapter on magic. And just as a little spoiler, if you listen to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, where we did three episodes on players' option spells and magic, there's going to be some retreads, y'all. <laughs> I don't know why you would say such a thing. Uh, let's dig into the chapter and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet I'll tell people as we go. So this is, uh, for those of you following along at home, this is the Chapter 5, the magic chapter in the 3.5 Unearthed Arcana book that we have been taking a deep dive into. And so this this chapter, as Brandis has mentioned, is quite a, it has quite a bit in common with the entire Spells and Magic book from 2.5 edition. Um, but let's assume for a moment that that our listeners either have not listened to that because they're not interested in that particular edition or that if they did listen to it it was uh 7 or 8 months ago now because they listened to it when it got released which was Christmas 2019. So so let's let's not burden them with with forcing them to go back and listen to it although dear listeners if you would like to I have no problem just pause go listen to the other episode we'll be here when you get back. Okay, everybody's back. Now <sighs> We begin this chapter with magic rating. Well, we begin this chapter with them saying the variants of this chapter are organized in ascending order of their likely impact on a campaign. That's an interesting <laughs> yeah. thing to say. I, we'll see if that's true. I'm really curious. <laughs> so magic rating. Well, magic rating. So magic rating is a way to allocate um, sort of uh, uh, spell points a little slightly bit differently from how they are allocated when a, a magic using PC levels up. And basically all it does is it takes a certain amount of points and it puts them on a table and it says, well, if you are a particular class that uh, you like, say a, a bard, cleric, druid, sorcerer, or wizard, very high magic using classes, you are going to earn magic rating points. You'll have a magic rating. Um, not, it's not really points because you don't really, spend them but you'll earn magic rating points at a rate of basically one per level so by the time you're fifth level you have five of them and by the time you're 13th you have 13 of them and by the time you're 20th you've got 20 magic rating of 20 it's not really points right i keep talking like it is but it's not but really basically all it is is it's a stand-in number that takes the place of um the uh spell level basically it replaces your caster level you know when in third edition when you cast a spell caster level has a lot to do with the range and the how many targets and the area of effect and the duration and all that stuff and the difficulty if it needs to be dispelled all that stuff is connected to caster level so what they've done is with the magic rating system they replaced caster level with a magic rating by class now as i mentioned earlier if you're a bard cleric druid sorcerer wizard a high casting class well that's just the same your 20th level you have magic rating 20 your fifth level you have magic rating five but if instead you're a monk, paladin, or ranger, a lower sort of magic casting class, then you you begin at first level with a zero magic rating. 
and you don't get uh, one until second and third level, and then fourth and fifth, you're at a magic rating two. By the time you get to 20th level, your magic rating is only 10. If you are a barbarian fighter or rogue, by the time you get to 20th level, your magic rating never gets any higher than five. So in other words, it's a way to separate out the powerfulness of a magical casting by class. Well, right. And that really matters for multi-classing purposes. Right. right? Exactly. And and so the magic rating you get from that, that C column is actually better than you'd otherwise be getting because it's not mm-hmm. zero. Um, well, after third level. Sure. Yes. <laughs> after third level. <laughs> yes. Not zero. yes. Um, it's, right. it's, a, it's a marginal benefit, but it's, it's literally anything. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is an acknowledgement that multi-classing a pure spellcaster with anything else isn't great. Um, but well, and then, but, but here <laughs> multi-classing two different primary spellcasters together is less horrible than it could be. Right. And, and also, it, it even the very first thing that happens after it explains the system, it gives you an optional variant yeah. that allows you to basically say, I'm going to discourage multi-classing by making it really onerous in terms of what your how many what your magic rating is right yeah um i mean you know here's the thing i it's okay like it's fine um it's fine there's also there's also a a description of how you apply the magic rating system to monsters right um it's all right i I don't you know you mentioned earlier that they start out by saying well we're presenting these in in the in the order of least effect on your game and i kind of feel like yeah that's accurate this isn't really going to have much of an effect especially if you're a non-multi-classing class though it's going to be a hard race against the next session next section because anyway um, yeah but i'm just saying like so this is kind of you know it's a it's a page of information it's a variation. It's a kind of a, you know, the, the thing about it is here's, here's the good thing about it, right? I, I, when I was, when I was reviewing this chapter, getting ready for this recording, I thought to myself, I want to be able to say like at least one kind of good thing about every section. And, and cause a lot of these, I'm just going to say a bunch of bad stuff about, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't want to seem like I'm just saying bad about everything. Right. So oh, there's going to be our first beep for the episode. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so here's the good thing about this. They're kind of setting the stage for the, the players and, and the DM to just slightly shift their thinking about magic and magic use and, and how powerful magic spells are, are, are affected, right? They're kind of just shifting that. So, you know, if you're a DM that likes to futz around and, and make lots of homebrew changes to the game, the way that you play it at your table, this is kind of permission to just think of magic as a different thing, a little, little tiny bit different. If, if you have players that are hesitant or, or that are, that really don't want to change things in a, in a, in a big way, this is a way to kind of change things in a slightly less impactful way. Uh, and still feel like you're making some tweaks if you have a problem. So. Right. And and so 
this is an issue in multi-classing that they're going to keep trying to solve in later expansions, mm-hmm. right? In later splat books. Um, it's going to get solved with feats that do things like plus four to your caster level, but your caster level can't be greater than your character level. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's for when you took four levels of fighter to go with your, uh, right. I don't know, <laughs> wizard or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so your, your caster level doesn't lag. Well, this might save you a feat. It doesn't have a lot of drawbacks aside from just being like a, a, a mathier version of multiclassing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, we still see uh, 5e kind of playing in the sandbox of this idea in the multiclassing rules. The fact that if you're multiclassing, um, say, wizard with a fighter that isn't the Eldritch Knight, uh, your fighter levels aren't giving you any new spell slots, though they are improving your cantrips. Mm-hmm. That that kind of push and pull of how can we get this to feel right without being horribly onerous. Like fighter levels don't need to be giving you more spell slots because if you're a pure fighter, they wouldn't be giving you spell slots. But but wait, but what? And so this is mm-hmm. this is tr- trying to address that. And I can respect the goal. There's nothing wrong with the implementation. It just isn't exciting either. Right. It's not fancy. It's not, um, I, I get the idea, right? Like if you're a wizard and you multi-class into fighter, you're still a wizard. Right. Right. And so as you gain those experience points to level up, but you multi-class into fighter, yes, you're learning new fighter things, but you're still a wizard. You're still, so I, I get it. It's just not exciting. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, there's also handling for magic ratings for monsters, which does actually matter because in 3.035, it is a very real part of creature design for encounters to mm-hmm. tack a bunch of caster levels or a bunch of character levels of any kind onto a monster stat block and then build them as a character with their monster stat block treated as functionally their race. And you just tack more stuff on top of that. That's right. how it works. It's incredibly onerous in actual use. I've mm-hmm. talked about it before. It's um, a thing that just makes all encounter building take forever in third edition. Because honestly, once you're sorting out skill points for that dragon that also has wizard levels for some reason, then you're going to be here all week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, please go away now. <laughs> right. And, and it's sort of like us in this topic. Let's move on to, yeah, let's move on then. To, to, to summon, <laughs> summon monster variants. Summon monster. So <laughs> go ahead. I'll, I'll let you talk about this and then I'll tell you what I think about it. <laughs> sure. So, so the concept here is that, um, a tightly themed summoning list says more about who your character is and what they're into than a generic summoning list such as that found in uh, Summon Monster I through Summon Monster X. I'm literally disappointed that it's not Summon Monster X, by the way. Uh, (laughs) I I swear to God I got that wrong like the first 12 times I read it. It's it's Summon Monster 9, and I'm I'm just disappointed in all of us. 
anyway, um, as long this- as it's not summon monster MCM, I think you're okay. Uh, fair. Um, <laughs> so this is, uh, really all about defining an identity for your character by, by messing with their summon list. Um, and I guess from a certain perspective, it might feel video gamey in a way, mm. but I, I don't actually dislike this as a concept. It's just that it circles back to you need a, a stat block that you can easily build for all of these monsters because most of them are a monster plus a template. So you can't just read out of the book. That is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic, summoners in 3.0 and 3.5 are a nightmare because well, so- they they just slow down play so much because there's no concentration on their spell. So they can they can mm-hmm. cast one spell, the next round they cast another spell, and now they have five pets running around the battlefield. Right. Cool. Right. So, but that aside, because that this it makes this is not trying to fix that, and it's sure. not. Yeah. So, so that aside, I, there's two reasons I love this section. Sure. And and it, I love it despite the fact that I don't really give a crap about summoners. I mean, honestly, I really don't. That's fair. Um, especially in third edition. But yep. the, here's the reason I love it. There's two reasons. Number one, I love the idea of of a curated summon list. In fact, in uh, one of my Castles and Crusades games, I have a curated cleric list because the spells that you get access to depend on which deity you follow as a cleric. If you're devoted to that deity, you have access to different spells. You have a different spell list. And I love that idea. I think it's rich with role-playing potential. Um, And, you know, I'm not a tyrant. So, you know, if a a player wants to play a cleric, but they really want this spell that's not on their list, you know, we talk about it. Like, it's not not like I'm, you know, put the hammer down. No, absolutely not. That's not the idea. The idea is just to make it so that your character has a shtick, right? Oh, I'm going to summon. Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a uh, petitioner of Yinagu. So since I'm a petitioner of Yinagu, I can summon these things and not other things. And to me, that's a very interesting way to have some, some character differentiation. So that's the first reason that I, that I kind of, I kind of like this section because I, 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 I appreciate the idea of curating spell lists or summon lists. The second reason I like this is that this is really trying to it's not just saying, oh hey, here are here are here here's the examples of some summoning lists. It's saying, yeah, here's some examples, but here's how to create this for a summoner in your game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I appreciate the fact that it's really meant to be a lesson in here's how you do this because um, it tells you how to build the summoning list for a particular, you know, for, for a character that has a particular theme or, or thematically built, you know, whatever. And I, I, I just appreciate that. I think, I think that just in general, uh, D&D books don't do enough of that. 
They yeah. give some examples and they give some uh, rationale and then they don't often provide a, well, here's how to think about this as you go about it. And here are things where you could change this and here are things where you shouldn't change it. And here's what you might want to think about as you're thinking about changing that. Well, and that's what a lot of DMs need. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is once you get to individualized summoning lists, uh, I mean, really, you got to catch them all. That's a that's Pokemon joke. Yeah, Well, I just I didn't know if it was from like way after your time. I was right. No, no, I was I I I was pausing for the audience to get a good guffaw in there before I. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm owe some apologies, people who who will be on the keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just that not another Charizard, huh? Yeah. Right. Dire rats again! Damn it. Fucking Rattata. <laughs> Why can't I ever get a summon monster X? Right. <laughs> um, oh, anyway, so so I don't really have much more to say about this particular section other than I think it's it's a great little template way of showing a DM how to make that or showing a player how to make that. Um you know, I there, there is this, there is this concept of the, um, the, the constraints um, in a situation or, or in a, in a, in an activity, allowing for more creativity. Because if you know where the constraints are, you know that you can push those boundaries or try to go around them or stay within them. And now you can, you can use your creativity to, to adhere to whatever part of that that you want to. And so I feel like these summon monster lists have the possibility of doing that. If a person really wants to make their own personalized summon monster list, that, that might actually provide them with, you know, a, a way to, uh, you know, make their character special or something. I don't yeah. know. Like I can't help but feel like there's a little bit of a, uh, a deck building card game that you could turn this into. That would be a really fun sideline for that player. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Sure. Uh, so next we get metamagic components. Yep. And um, this section is mostly tables, which uh, Sam will be reading to you line by line. <laughs> um, Acid fog, extended, <laughs> powdered gorgon hoof, nine hundred and forty gold pieces. Uh, we'll be here a while. <laughs> Acid splash, enlarged, rare toad skin, twenty gold pieces. Dun. Okay. <laughs> So, um, so this is the idea of converting treasure into metamagic, just straight up. Um, there's a sidebar that talks about it in a, a bit more detail as to how, like, the point of this is that if you do this a lot, it's going to put you behind the treasure curve. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Um, it will it will shove you behind the treasure curve, and that's how you're paying for like, not having bought a meta magic feat, but still getting the benefit. Um, and then there's some byplay about how it compares to the cost of a scroll that made me bleed from the eyes, and so I stopped reading it. But <laughs> that's fine. Um, but but right, like the idea is that they've gone through you know all of the spells in the player's handbook and assigned them. One or more um, 
metamagic options and a component that's paired with it, or they are noting for this spell, there's just nothing at all. That's not, there's no metamagic you perform on this mm-hmm. ever for any reason. And so we're not doing that. Um, for example, for example, cha- uh, no, no, I'll, 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 oh, I'll give sure. a chain lightning. The metamagic effect is maximized and the component is a fist sized chunk of magnetic stone. The minimum cost is 4,350 gold pieces. Dun. Now, the clone spell can have no metamagic effect applied to it at all. It has no, therefore, metamagic component, and also no minimum cost. Dun. And I'd like to just point out that for anyone who's read um, the Vorkosigan saga, you know for sure that a widened clone is a totally normal thing. <laughs> Of course. It's it's deep cuts o'clock here, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this is what happens when, when uh, I postpone the recording till a later time. Yeah, I started drinking at a normal uh, right. <laughs> recording time, so you just got to catch up. Excellent. <laughs> um, um, so, but- I, so I, okay, so anybody who knows me knows I, I love this. I love it. I love it. Here's the thing. I don't know how well it works in play. And like you said, it really puts you behind the eight ball on the wealth curve. And that's a bad thing in 3.5 for reasons that we've talked about in other shows. If you uh-huh. are interested and you, this is the first time you're listening to us, that's in the last series, which was about how you have your economy in your, in your D&D. Anyway, so I, but I love this because I love the idea of having to uh, curate components that are different from the typical components so that you can do something different with a spell. This to me has the same effect as that whole summoning list, right? Where, yeah. you know, you can specialize in a certain spell that you met, you, you use a component to create the empowered version of that spell. And no one else in the region does that, right? You could, that could, that's a world building effect that you've got there. Well, yeah. And it's actually, an even stronger play in fifth edition than it is in third mm-hmm. right. because fifth edition's economy does not care as much about gold. Just giving you, this is a place to dump gold is amazing. Also, right. it's not like you aren't buying a meta magic feat. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not, but that's because it is for sale. Right. Right. <laughs> you're you're than, not. Yeah. Other than meta magic adept in the recent uh, UA document. We'll see if that goes <laughs> right. official, but I'd, I'd say the odds are real fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you get the point though, right? You, so in third edition, you would not be buying the feet because you are spending the resources to get the component instead. So you don't need the feet. But, but in fairness, this is also so much versatility because this would be buying so stinking many feats mm-hmm. that right. no one could ever do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and also from the GM, DM, GM's perspective, if and that's my perspective usually, this is a MacGuffin hunt right here. Like I, I you know, and I and I do this in fifth edition too. If a if a person if a PC wants to cast a spell, not every component is just easily findable. Like yeah, the low level spells, generally speaking, their components are not that difficult to have, so they generally have them on hand. But do you know how hard it is to find a uh, Jane, jade studded mask or an obsidian headpiece or liquid amber whenever you just want to cast the spell like you don't like sometimes that is a fetch quest in itself 
and sometimes it's a fetch quest for a patron and some you know so for me i i like these kinds of lists and i and i like you know there's like a whole thing with monster parts lists right like what what part of that monster can you harvest <laughs> right yeah. if if the party runs into it and then you can sell that either on the black market or on the magic market or on the gray market or you know for whatever or you could use it yourself if you're a spellcaster that wants that component right like that i love that because to me i see those as really strong ways to world build sure and so i i i like that sort of play and and that's what this provides yeah and this like you would need to do a very tiny bit of massaging, but bringing this straight into your fifth edition game mm-hmm. is really very doable. And mm-hmm. like I did see some other um, implementations of this idea in third edition uh, over in Arcana Evolved. There was something that was very mm-hmm. much like this, but with a small table rather than um, eight pages of table. Every spell, um, yes. Yeah. But... <laughs> What I want to know about your world building, Sam, is what does it take to get a gem encrusted bowl with at least a thousand gold pieces? <laughs> well, see, that's that's you know, and is it just any gem encrusted bowl, right. or does it have to have a specific design, right? And this is where we get into what we talked about uh, in a previous episode, where we talked about the effect of culture, right? And how if that if that bowl was produced by a certain individual from a certain culture or from a certain population or from a certain region, that's going to have a different effect than uh, any old, you know, person who makes really great bowls, but you know, you know what I mean? That's yeah. 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 Oh, and it is kind of cool that in some cases you are getting uh, both silent and stilled, for example, Right. Um, I'd love it if they had gone for a few more cases of you get a duo for a single component. That'd be mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just because it's more different and more weird. Uh, right. That would have right. been pretty rad. Well, here's here's um, one: the whale whale of the banshee. <laughs> you get you get enlarged and widened. Oh, oh, but oh no! The, but the component. Is trapped banshee essence. <laughs> uh, you can probably buy that at your local curiosity shop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the local Hannaford's down the street. They, it's just in jars. Just look for the green label. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but so, so that's actually another nice thing about this is that, like, if you watched a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as I did, um, and there's a magic shop. What do they sell at a magic shop in D anD D? Because selling a ton of magic items is not great. It's just not, right. and yep. it's not really right for like that magic shop. Oh, they sell high end components that actually make your spell <laughs> world endingly amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. fair. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But, but the other great thing about this section that I want to make sure we touch on is how many sidebars this section has it is it is friggin dripping sidebars and five do i count five yeah they want to talk about um meta magic and how it intersects with sorcery and um what the different designers in this case james white and ed stark do in their own games to make meta magic more appealing for sorcerers for us in the heady days of fifth edition, this is a great irony because mm-hmm. only sorcerers get meta magic, right. um, and that, that's just that's a weird thing. 
Um, but but right in in third edition, meta magic is sort of not very appealing to sorceress types. Um, they are expected to have the one way they cast, and everything else is kind of just they, they cast the spell they cast. They, they don't do that kind of um, on uh, on the spot replanning um, because they have to spend more of uh, more action time to do it, and that's a mm-hmm. weird set of choices. But sure. Um, uh, but you know we're going to get another section on sorcerers and meta magic next. Uh, so, <laughs> right. is there anything else you want to say about this section? No, uh, it's just it's it's up my alley. Although I would completely bastardize it and do it differently from from what they've presented oh, here. For but, sure, for but, sure. But that's this sort of content is is ripe for me to steal it and play with it, and so I love that. Yeah. Um. Oh, and the bit on fanciful magic, meta magic components, just reminds me of the uh, the chapter on uh, magic item creation from the second edition DMG that mm. is forever seared into my memory uh, as it talks about uh, fanciful item crafting, where you your component list is a series of riddles, and you need to uh, figure right. out how to do yeah. that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right, we had a pretty extensive conversation yeah, yeah. about that, but this just calls that back to mind. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and 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 it fits. Um, the the only uh, and and this has this sort of same danger, but the only like you know the example they give uh, is um, if the darkness spell has a meta magic component that is quote the coal mined and kept in total darkness, right? So coal mined and kept in total, darkness. and then it says, well, that's evocative, and it's not necessarily hard to find, but there's an inherent disadvantage because you can accidentally spoil that component because it has to be kept in total darkness. So how do you know you have to have your timing just right to expose it or never ever expose it to light until you cast the spell. And you know, that just feels right for a DM to say, Oh, well, I know you thought you were going to do that, but the coal has been spoiled somehow. There was a pinhole in the container and whatever you know you know what i'm saying right. um yeah so it it's 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 a little bit of uh you know you can you can fiddle with it too much and make it um make it more of a gotcha and less of a how that wow that's cool you know mm-hmm. so anyway yeah and that, that can also be a table culture thing if you sure. need a kind of um cost for failure that isn't you take hit points of damage or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've reached catastrophic failure, and the skill challenge ends. Like something happens to spoil some of your special components is pretty mm-hmm. legit. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so spontaneous meta magic is the next section, even though it sounds like I was just talking about it. <laughs> uh, whatever you may have heard. Uh, now mm-hmm. we're going to actually cover it. Um, I, I do want to point out that uh, they call it a radical concept, <laughs> and they they don't mean radical in the '80s. Wow, man, that's rad! Version they yeah. mean radical as in so different and out of the normal plane of what's acceptable for third edition that this should blow your mind. Anyway, <laughs> this is not super easy to absorb in reading. What does this do, Sam? Save me, Sam. Um, I have no so, idea what I'm looking at. Basically, the 
um, these are feet. Okay, so when you just think of metamagic, you're thinking of things that allow you to change something about the spell, the effect of the spell, right? Range, all that stuff. This lets you do that too. Um, but basically, um, you're. So the word spontaneous is important here because basically it just means that instead of having to plan ahead, you can decide to um, apply a metamagic effect on the spur of the moment. I, I don't, I'm not okay. Kidding. Okay. So sure. So, so it's two things. So one of them is uh, treating metamagic feats as a set number of daily uses of that benefit. So instead of, you can always just keep doing this thing, but you do it at time of spell prep. It is, um, you can, um, you can apply that to your spells a set number of times per day, um, which involves a formula. Um, but what? But the, the the thing here is what's set in stone is the number of times you can do it, not which one you choose or what yeah. spell you apply it to. That's right. that's the key there. That's what makes it spontaneous. Is that you kind of have these daily powers? <coughs> nod to fourth edition. Uh, you right. kind of have these these daily powers that you get to choose when you unleash it on the well, fly, which is what makes it the spontaneous part. Well, well, right. And it's not a number of times equal to your intelligence uh, modifier or a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, but it'd be mighty recognizable if it were. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> going to say. Yeah. Um, and then we then there's also extra spell slots, which is like you pay your upcharge. Mm-hmm. Fine. Like that really is very uh, fifth edition. Yeah. Because it's the at higher levels bit, right? Right, right. Yeah, when you and, cast a spell in a higher slot. Yeah. And, and I think we all pretty much agree that the upcasting option in 5th edition is friggin' amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a such a killer app in the design of 5th edition. Yeah, and and it's um it's actually one of the things. Well, now I'm going to go on on a fifth edition tangent, but it's one of the things in fifth edition that I sort of look at it and I think, how did we never do this before? Right. So because right? it it seems so obvious and simple to implement, and it works so well. Well, so in um in Money Cooks Arcana Evolved, that is actually a thing. There's a diminished and a heightened option like a, a, a one up one down option for most of the spells some of them okay. only have a diminished some only have a heightened whatever you, you get the picture mm-hmm. but uh it it isn't expansible further it's just one up one down well this mm-hmm. is definitely better yeah and yeah, yeah. uh like uh, how we went all those years playing with you know, Magic the Gathering's Fireball and Shiv and Dragon and didn't say to ourselves, mm-hmm. what a good idea. Right. And just, I'm a poor mana on this spell and see what happens. Yes, it's better. Well, I it's mean, awesome. let's, let's be honest, though. It took us until, you know, from 1979 to 2004 to figure out that uh, you don't have to have Vancey and Magic. Right. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you're saying right now. You're, you're losing me. 
I'm 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 never going to postpone. I, I, I don't want to hear this kind of heresy out of you, Sam. That's not. I, I don't come here for this kind of dirty talk. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so here's the thing. Um, I mean, this is this is two different ways to to deal with, um, you know, to, to to deal with spontaneously changing the effect of your spell, and it's it's fine, it's good. Uh, it, yep. You can you can definitely see the DNA of it in in later edition. Yeah, like, this is going to trend toward a more standardized position mm-hmm. as more and more spot books come out for 3.5. Um, the the daily uses thing is actually going to show up in magic items because um, the meta magic rods wind up working about this way, um, mm-hmm. you know, approximately, yeah. and that's all, right. all fine. Um, and and so yeah, there's still more. Uh, sidebars, they're, yeah, they're fine. Um, this is, look, folks, some of these sidebars are so huge; they might as well just be their own section. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're third of a page sidebars, um, <laughs> and there's several of them running. I, yeah. It's it's like we're reading Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, and I'm here for it. <laughs> um, so next up is spell points, um, folks. It's a spell point system. I, I want you to hold on to your butts because it's a spell point system for D and D. You probably haven't seen one of these before, ever. <laughs> not before, not since. Certainly not in second edition spells and magic. Certainly not in fourth edition's psionic system, and absolutely not in the fifth edition DMG. Mm-mm. Nope. Anyway. Um, yep. I have nothing new to say about the spell point system. Not a word. Yeah, no. Is there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's it it does the thing that you expect with most of the numbers that you would expect. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a nice house rule for simplified NPC spellcasters because, as previously attested, building the stat block for an NPC spellcaster is. Certainly part of purgatory, if not actually a circle of uh, Dante's hell in mm-hmm. <laughs> 3.0 and 3.5. Because so many slots, so many spells, so little time. Because they are just not going to live. Um, yeah. Then there's they, a spell point variant that um, well, so, is ho- Hold on, you, you're oh, talking yeah, about sure. vitalizing? Yeah, yeah. So let's go back one. First, it, it, it also uh, tries to allow you some flexibility with metamagic and the spell point system. And ultimately it amounts to metamagic costs more spell points to cast that spell. Sure. Ooh. Okay. Anyway, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, that's what you do. Why are we talking <laughs> about this? Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, fine. Vitalizing. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. But, and, and so the, the one, I guess, thing to always keep in mind about a spell point system is that you are giving players, more permission and freedom to have a 15 minute adventuring day because Mm -hmm. they are more able to dump all of their big stuff faster and earlier. And then they're out. Yep. And we'll see them try to solve that in a few more sections. (laughs) Yes, we will. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, vitalizing is uh, all about a risk of uh, taking 
various negative conditions representing you getting tired as you burn through your spell point pool. Um, And it's okay. That's very fiction appropriate. If very play miserable. Right. So that's what I was going to say was this is very much a world building kind of idea. Yep. Uh, But of all of the options so far that we've talked about with magic, this is the one that I can see causing the most strife. And, amongst players. And also this is one of the most literally directly found in um, Spells and Magic, uh, the player's option yeah. book, right, right, because right. this is channeling. Right. It is straight up on the nose, a mm-hmm. less onerous system for channeling. Right. And that's right. that's actually fine. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to play a little magic campaign, um, here you go. Right. Or you have a conceit that is uh, you know, similar to Dark Sun, but you're not sucking the essence uh, out of the planet when you cast. Instead, you're sucking the life essence out of yourself when you cast. Yeah, uh, that's fine. It's 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 a setting conceit. That's why I say it's a world building aspect. Yeah, yeah And sure. the thing is, it's a different it's different world building than like the summoning list, right? The summoning list is world building where you're fiddling to make somebody more interesting. Here, you're fiddling to punish a type of PC using the thing they're supposed to be good at, which is casting spells. I mean, so, I mean, punish. It's, well, uh, you know it, what I'm saying though. It, it's yeah. Okay. You need buy-in. You need buy-in, but when the fighter swings his sword and if he makes 10 hits, is he going to get fatigued for doing the thing that he's good at? I've seen those rules before. Right, uh, right. Uh, I know. <laughs> and were they any good? <laughs> <laughs> Reader, they were not. <laughs> I, I, I think that you get my point. So let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So, so recharge magic is uh, the next section here. Um, I'm going to sum it up for you really fast in two different ways. I, the first form is it's a cooldown timer. Like, if you've ever played any video game that has spells on a cooldown, uh, it doesn't have to be World of Warcraft, but this was 2004, so it could have been World of Warcraft, uh, then you know about cooldown timers. And reader, you do not want to track cooldown timers. You do not. Uh, I'm so sorry. The other thing that this is, is... um, a shockingly clear precursor to Pact Magic. Oh, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of Cause, that. Because that's magic on a faster cooldown timer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, that's just what it is. Um, it, and I don't mean to say that I think you can draw a direct line from um, you know point A to uh, point B there, but uh, it's clearly experimenting with a lot of the same idea, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of, well, I, I want to do my cool thing more than once a day, uh, and you know they note that this is a huge power boost for spellcasters because mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> um, but also I having mean, tables and tables of yeah, well, cooldown timer is misery. It's it's right. Awful. I mean. I mean, look, uh, Arcane Lock has a one-hour cooldown time. Okay. Um, 
Then there's this entry for general in this chart. And here's what general means. General is the recharge time when there's not a standard recharge time. Instead, the recharge time has to do with um, what level you cast that spell at. And it tells you how many rounds it takes to be able to cast that spell again. So in other words, these are spells you're going to be making when you're in a round time frame, which means in combat. And so what's funny about these tables is it's kind of ridiculous because the vast majority of the things on this table say general. Yeah. <laughs> Which means you just have to go reference another, you know, piece and you have to, you know, have that on your DM screen or whatever so well, that you can adjudicate it during combat. Right. But they, they don't have a better way to uh, show a scaling function. Sure. They, no, they, they need course, a yeah. word for it. It's a scaling function. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying it's kind of funny. They oh, should yeah. have said, they should have just made the the table and said, any spell that doesn't have a general recharge time where you have to reference this other thing is in this table. And then they could have just taken every general recharge spell out of the table, and they would have had a half a page of tables instead of six pages of tables. So the reason they don't do that is that they release spells in more than one book, and this table only includes the player's handbook. Oh, fine. Like, like, yeah, it's a mess. I don't want to tell you, dude, but like, <laughs> they want to help you remember what book things are in so you don't have to remember that, um, I don't know, like Gravestrike or whatever was in um, Complete Scoundrel and not <laughs> – you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. I get it. It, it just yeah, – Oh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a messy bench, but what can you do? Um. <laughs> and, and man, the the sidebar on recharge magic is it's more half, than half a page. the page. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's enormous. I know. Um, and this is a high powered variant. Go on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like if you so, so nowadays, this would be a far more feasible thing because an entirely. Uh, device-driven character sheet is so much more attainable in 2020 than it was in 2004. It was technically doable then because everyone could have a laptop at the table, but Mm -hmm. now it's standard. What are you talking about? Like (laughs) uh, I have many players who have never had a physical character sheet, um, even when we were meeting in person and not right. uh, these online mm-hmm. days when we were vexed mm-hmm. by plague. Um. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Let me, let me read you this, um, this entry in the behind the curtain. Se- now for the audience, the behind the curtain section is supposed to be like, here's the designer's notes on, on this. Right. So let me, that's fine. Like I, I actually appreciate that. I like getting the little designer's notes and whatnot. Oh, yeah, but here, here's this paragraph. Um, It's only, it's two sentences, but it's a paragraph. As with most high-powered variants, recharge magic works only if every spellcaster in the campaign is using it, including powerful NPC spellcasters. A recharge variant lich, for example, is a terror for high-level PCs to behold. (laughs) Now I just really want to run run a campaign with a recharge variant lich. Um... I mean, yeah. it's just, it's brilliant. I love it. But, I mean, do I, uh, forget it. <laughs> if, I'm, I'm already got, if I'm already having my party face a lich, oh my god. Right. And there would be 
there would be like interesting stuff that would come out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a much more like exalted power level than <laughs> a right. zero to hero D and D power level. Mm-hmm. Right. And that you're okay with it or you aren't. That's about yeah. where you are. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, and then we move. Unless you have something else to say, no, about that section. no. God, we can God, move God, to the next on. section, which is legendary weapons. So, the neat thing about this is that this one does actually become its own book. Uh, this whole section is going to get made into a, a hardcover book that Watsu is going to release a couple years down the line. Um, this is Weapons of Legacy, mm-hmm. and I think it's really cool. That, you know, even within an edition, you can watch them play with an idea and mm-hmm. say, you know, yeah, let's do that thing. Yeah, all right. And mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. Like, it's a lot, but it's interesting. Um, Once hanging- again, this is a, this is a, a world building. Church oh, yeah. Right? It's, it's very much like... Deciding to play a campaign mm-hmm. with that is very unlike playing a campaign without it. Right. Um, and I mean, it, it's kind of its own subgenre of of fantasy. Um, it, it, your boy Michael Moorcock uh, was mm-hmm. kind of into it. I mm-hmm. hear, um, yeah. and that's that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, nowadays if we want to have a maybe some sort of warlock patron that's all about your bond with some sort of weapon. Black Razor, maybe. Could be Black Razor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that just shows up in Xanathar's. But mm-hmm. in these days of 2004, uh, it was a prestige class. Because, of course, it was. Because everything was a prestige class. Because everything was. And <laughs> so you weren't really even playing the Weapon of Legacy game until certainly in the case of dragon blade um ninth level right mm-hmm. um well 10th um, sort of 10th yeah. level i guess yeah. L- much later um and that's gonna vary slightly by uh by class like the hammer of all souls is something you could take a little bit earlier if you're a you know, Dwarf warrior type um, who still has enough skill points to buy craft armor smithing or craft weapon smithing. Good luck, friend. Um, <laughs> and, and so on. So there's basically a unique uh, prestige class for uh, uh, you know warrior types, uh, faith types, spellcasting types. Mm-hmm. We're different from faith types for some reason, uh, and swift types. Uh, that's that's a little strange, but the weapons they describe are really cool, in all fairness, because I, I don't think it's strange when you think about the idea of the archetype. Sure, it's just like I guess my only take is these probably should have been just rewritten as new base classes and not as British classes. Well, sure. I mean, I won't disagree with that for sure. I think, and and in that case, it works really well as a campaign. Yeah, 
right? W- versus doing something until you get to the you know tenth level, and then all of a sudden, hey, here's this thing that we haven't talked about the whole rest of the campaign, right? You know, um, well, like being the last player to start getting your uh, your legendary weapon because you're going after Dragon Blade and not Hammer of All Souls. Mm-hmm. That's not great. It's not. <laughs> it's not actually ideal. Yeah. Um, or I mean, you poor thing. You played a rogue, and you're going after Dream Striker. Well, you're going to get it a lot later because you ain't got the base stack bonus for it, son. Right. That's not. It's yeah. the problem no, with I, prestige class. Yeah. It's not the problem right. with this idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which but, is why it ends up getting its own book. Right. Yeah. This idea. Yeah. But like yeah. the the weapons they they describe again are are classy and cool. Um, right. Uh, Ionon, the Burning Staff, Dream Striker, Hammer of All Souls, Dragon Blade. Yeah, I, I think I can't paint on that. This looks pretty, sounds like a pretty good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I don't I mean, see us doing know. a future episode on Weapon of Le- Weapons of Legacy, because, um, no. But yeah. that's not because I don't like the book. It's because we don't have enough to say. Um right. Well, you think we're digressive now? <laughs> Just you wait. Um, and so, do you have anything else you want to say about uh, this section? No, not really. Okay. Can you imagine us doing an ep- an episode on uh, different I- different magic items through the editions? I mean, yes. Frankly, <laughs> no. I mean, imagine the digressions. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I can. <laughs> That'll be a twelve-part series, anyway. <laughs> a twelve-part series on the Holy Avenger Sword, <laughs> Vorpal Blade. <laughs> All right. Every episode opening is just a reading of Jabberwocky. There you go. <laughs> Which nice. I mean, I have a six-year-old; they can do it from memory, no problem. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, so item familiars uh, is yes. the next section. Um, this one you're going to see a little bit, um, like just just knocking around in places over the next sixteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to show up in some uh, fourth edition Eberron stuff, as you know, my my familiar is an inanimate object that I've you know instilled some some sentience into and, and a bond with. Um, that kind of deal. Um, we also saw some of those ideas get sort of batted around in some UA stuff for fifth ed. Mm-hmm. Um, just every now and again. Um, I mean, the idea of intelligent items has been around for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, it, and it, once it's again, familiar is a little more unusual. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm just saying, like it, it's sort of, it's a, it feels like a more natural progression into the. Okay, that's my familiar, huh? Okay, you know, uh, yeah. it's not just out of the blue. It's it's the it's several concepts put together. Um, it's 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 good. It's okay. I I never used it in play, so I mean, not not in third edition. So, eh. Yeah, it seems okay. Just re- reading through, it seems okay. I don't, I can, I don't see anything that just makes me go, you know. Um, uh, well, it, so it comes into its own as actually being really cool when you get to the inheriting an item familiar section. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about something really neat because it's a much stronger sense of legacy. If you mm-hmm. are inheriting, I don't know, some sort of tutelary skull from your mentor. Uh, he, he might have been named Harry Dresden. It's possible. <laughs> Just throwing possible. out names. Um, so yeah, um, like this, it's pretty neat. That it's a lot. There's a lot here, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm not really going through it all in in detail. Um, but uh, that in part that's because I'm really in a hurry to get to my favorite section of the whole chapter. What's that? Incantations. Incantations. I am so crazy about this. Because, are you torturing your cat again? What the hell are you doing? Uh, no more than usual. <laughs> so I, I'm so crazy about incantations. Incantations, yes. Because um, it really heightens a sense of like, mystery and ritual around magic. Mm-hmm. Um, in in my mind, it's the precursor to fourth ed's rituals, right? Okay. That that, mm-hmm. that skill challenge driven situation right um right right. and and that sense of i need to accomplish this thing but it's not a power i can call on casually or all the time i mean Mm -hmm. it it is pretty casual in 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 fourth cat hush Uh, i love you (laughs) i i I have two cats they're both cat they're trying to cast an incantation (laughs) yeah the incantation of where my food uh, fires of dis is what they're. Called. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I also like this section. Um, I think just uh, just for the audience, it it allows a not a PC that's not typically a spellcaster to cast an incantation, which is a spell like ritual like effect, basically. That's the long and short of it. I right. left some details out. And, and like uh, with, with fires of dis, I mean that is that is big and flashy and classy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they put a lot more like feeling into the description because mm-hmm. it's a, a rarer thing. But I mean, you don't see a ton of spells that start with this incantation dreamed up by insane cultists, opens a fell rift between the material plane and Dis, the fiery second layer of the nine hells. Uh, Mm -hmm. Go on. (laughs) You have my attention. (laughs) Um, And like it's, it's pitched as being about as cool as some of the um, epic level spells Mm -hmm. in um, spells and magic or in the epic level handbook. Um, but like, I, I, I just f- so fell in love with the with things like Hrothgar's journey. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a, a very literal nod to Beowulf. You know, congratulations. Right. Of course. Um, uh, and like, there's there's so much that goes into it. It's magic with so much more labor and purpose and story potential, right? Um, mm-hmm. and it it isn't right for most campaigns. I right. I readily admit that, but um, the ones it is for, oh man. Yeah, well, and and this has this is that this has that same sort of idea as what I've been saying for a lot of this chapter. This is world building. 
Oh yeah. Because, because here's the thing, these incantations, right. You know, you're imagining, Oh, well, um, you know, that this is, uh, this is, um, uh, one person casting this thing, which it could be. Okay. But on the other hand, if you're, uh, doing an incantation to, to, to cast or call fires of dis that takes, six required casters to do that. So you're now talking about cultists standing in a circle around whatever components you have set up, whatever, whatever environment you've set up and chanting to make this incantation occur or Hrothgar's journey requires, uh, what is it? Five Oh four people because the journey, the story that's being told has different characters and those other casters involved are, supplying the dialogue for the other parts of that story which is just fantastic as a world building kind of you, you know like oh this is uh you know you you're you're visiting this uh this this population in this town and and it's the eve of the new moon and they always do this this uh they have this celebration that every eve of the new moon and really actually it's not just a celebration party it's the five elders of the village are doing an incantation and during that incantation they tell you the story of one of their you know heroic ancestors or whatever right that's just pure world building with some really nice mechanical effects that you can throw in there and that's awesome i love that I would have absolutely bought just a book of this and like hung it on a campaign that was otherwise pretty restricted to, you know, warrior types and rogue types. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's not for every campaign, but boy, is it stylish. And I will take this kind of uh, style just all day long. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. there's a, a section on creating incantations, and it's very involved. There's a there's a mm-hmm. big old table of modifiers, and uh, it isn't the same as some of the stuff that you get into in the epic level handbook with mm-hmm. spell seeds and so on. But uh, it's it's not that unrelated either. Mm-hmm. But once again, I like this section because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times all you get is, hey, here's this concept and here's a couple of examples and that's yep. it. Here it's actually telling you – it's giving you guidelines, right? Now, if you want to fiddle with it and change it, fine. But here's the guidelines that you can use to create these things for your own campaign. And because – the reason that's important in this section is because this really is truly a world-building, a setting related item because the i mean think about like this look um how many adventures have have had a component where uh at some point the party has to disrupt the casting of a ritual or the party has to disrupt the opening of a gate or the uh the sacrifice of someone as a as a as a as an evil you know villain is trying to you know do an incantation and 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 cause something bad to happen it's a classic I mean, for a reason. It's it's yeah, it's it's a trope, it's a cliche, it's expected, it's usually really fun. It's there because it has gravitas. Yeah. And this allows you to create specific ones 
for your game that are meaningful and also have the sort of mechanical weight of it so that you can actually adjudicate interrupting that incantation, uh, yep. which sadly is not always right. Like that whole idea is tropey and cliche and is there because it's really fun. And it's kind of, a, you know, it's, it's a very familiar component of fantasy stories, but the way that it's always done or the way that it's done in, in, in multiple adventures is not that great. Yep. Um, so, but I mean, the other neat thing here is that it's offering effects that you would never put into a standard spell that is just part of someone's spell list mm-hmm. in, in the sidebar. Um, they imagine the spell, uh, Zedek Garasp Among the Bones, which calls forth a specific Bebelith named Zedek Garasp <laughs> for a specific job guarding a tomb. If we were to do anything else, Zedek Garasp attacks the caster instead. Uh, and if Zedek Garasp ever dies while guarding a tomb, the incantation is thereafter useless. Well, that is awesome. That that takes the Vancian core conceit but then blends in a lot more very very rich uh fantasy dna to me right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that that feels to me like the intersection of uh of my boy jack and uh the previously attested michael um (laughs) Mm -hmm. like i I can see them sort of Meeting at a point where, oh, I, I probably can't stand your writing, but that's a good idea you got there. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and, and here's the other thing it does. It makes it so that uh, you can create that incantation that only needs, uh, you know, maybe one, you know, third level caster and say six, four or six sort of first level or zeroth level casters, right? Six peasants. Yeah. Um, so that you're not required to always have the big bad major spellcasting villain be the one doing that incantation. Yeah. You can create it so that you can have a bunch of low-level mooks doing that. So that when the party does come and try to disrupt it, or when the party runs into the nest of cultists, they're not all sitting there with you know six-level casters. Right. So it's it, it's good. I, I really do like this section as well. And that brings us to the end of chapter five. Final thoughts on the chapter? Um, well, I, I think that they more or less get the increasing effect on a campaign idea right. Um, I mean, you could put in um, magic rating by class, and you'd barely notice Um in fairness, you could put in some monster variants in some campaigns, and no one would ever find out um, because they're just not playing summoners. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I think in in immediate implementation, you're a little more enthusiastic about meta magic components than I am. But I could get really excited about bringing it to fifth edition in some form because of all the conversation around how we need more stuff to spend money on. Um, <laughs> right. And then uh, there's a, a bunch of fairly dry stuff in the middle here. Um, I, I 
just can't get too excited about spell points to recharge magic because the bookkeeping on recharge magic is just awful. Onerous. <laughs> Unbearable. Uh, yeah. Unless you can put it all on a, a device to handle for you. Uh, then we get to legendary weapons, which is an idea so good that it became its own book. And it's it's classy, just mm-hmm. I'm, uh, my patience with prestige classes has run out. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but again, yeah. right? So, like, and 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 here's here's the thing: like the the meta magic components, I wouldn't use them as written in this book, right? Yeah. And yeah. the 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 legendary weapons, I wouldn't use them as written in this book. And the the incantations, uh, maybe I kind of would use them mostly as written. Like that's maybe the closest. Yeah. But those those three things, remember, they're world building. They're, yep. they're ways to yep. structure your campaign that make it so that you have these elements in there, and that's what makes the campaign special. Right. And like that's very much what they were trying to achieve in the player's option spells of magic, too. Mm-hmm. With right, all exactly. those variant magic styles. Mm-hmm. That was all supposed to be world building. Um, right. If anything, it's strange that there's not a warlock's warlock in here where everyone is engaging in pacts and that's how it all works. Right. Right. Um, certainly if you've read a lot of spells and magic then you'd expect that because yeah, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, like there, there's good, good stuff in here to mine for ideas. Um, I would, not have implemented most of it directly even when I was running 3.5 other than incantations. Um, but yeah, that's also because I didn't play a lot of 3.5 games that got high enough level to use their legendary weapon rules. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think that's me for this chapter. And next time we'll be looking at chapter 6, Campaigns, which is, as you've said, the chapter you're most excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's the chapter that has um, things in it that uh, I, I not only enjoy the idea of maybe tweaking them and putting them into my game, but they're varied and interesting, and uh, I don't mind reading about them. I mean, oh, some yeah. of the stuff I could use directly in my 5th edition game right now. Oh, yeah, and actually a fair amount of what's in Chapter 6 is going to go into official releases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, chapter, chapter six is, is my favorite uh, chapter of the book, but we're not there yet. So uh, chapter five is, is maybe my second favorite just because of the idea of being able to set up your campaign, you know, and change the setting rules in a way that make it memorable. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's got more style to offer than literally anything we've seen before this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I cannot even express how much I would love to take the the incantation system and its incredibly story-rich complexity and combine that with the general classes, the mm-hmm. uh, generic classes mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about back in Chapter 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that incredibly stripped-down character sense where then you're wielding magic that is complicated and thorny and is going to bite you mm. it, it actually is going to eat you right into uh carcosa if <laughs> if you right. are not yes. paying close attention to what you're doing and passing those skill checks like that's 
that's my jam, guys. Right. Right. And there's your campaign. Whoops, we messed up. <laughs> How the hell do we get back and try it again? Because we still have to accomplish the goal that we set out to get in the beginning. We thought it was going to be easy, and it's not. Um, yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm all in with that, too. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so listeners, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this, and we hope you're uh, that you're happy with with what we're doing. And if you're not, please send us an email at dndbrief at gmail dot com. That's d n d e b r i e f at gmail dot com. And or you could t- tweet at us. I am at dm samuel, and Brandis is at Brandis Stoddard on the bad website. <laughs> on the bad website. It's Twitter, guys. This is the bad it's place. It's Twitter, yeah. It's not, tw- Twitter's a bad. Twitter's a bad place. Uh, and where else can we find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, you can also find me on tribality.com. Uh, my personal blog is brandastoddard.com. And I have a Patreon that is brandastoddard. Th- I'm sensing a theme. Uh, yeah, I have a name that not a lot of people yeah. have. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's that's good. Uh, and I am DM Samuel on Twitter, and you can also find me at RPG Musings, and you can find me right here on the Tome Show. D and D Brief is going to move to the Tome Show, so we'll be we'll be releasing those. Other than that, I think we can say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Wear your masks and let the children out of cages, you bastards. Lord have mercy.